Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, those of you in between those demographics, anybody who enjoys the show and enjoys sports, welcome to the Phenomenal Fan Podcast, episode seven. Jared, the last episode we are going to be doing before the Super Bowl, 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 the biggest game of the year, uh, fired up about it. The Super Bowl, Bowl. Yeah, it's not even coming. It's not even coming through. But the Super Bowl. Uh, we're gonna talk player props for the Super Bowl. Uh, I have a few that I have uh, feel pretty strongly about. So we'll give some picks on that. We're gonna talk about how the Bengals will win the game. We'll talk about how the Rams will win the game. We'll give you our impact players that are not your typical you know, star players in the game. And then lastly, we'll touch on uh, baseball stuff. I guess we'll leave that up. We'll, we'll really tease that uh, to leave it as it is. But there's some interesting baseball developments that have got, gone on in the last couple days. So uh, we'll get into those. But in the meantime, Jared, Super Bowl player props is topic number one. It's something that I would love to cover. We've talked a little bit about them, but what are you what are you thinking right now? Because I think there's there's two there's two on our list right now that I'm in love with, absolutely in love with, and they're and they're and they're kind of like a slightly obscure props, like ones that general general people wouldn't think to take. Sure, right? Because everyone everyone wants to bet, you know, receiving yards, touchdowns, passing yards. That's where rushing yards. That's where it's sexy. So. But yeah, let's let's go ahead. Let's dive in. Let's dive into it. Let's dive into these player props here. First of all, just to cover the big ones off the top, how do we feel about Cooper Cup receiving yards for the Super Bowl at right now listed at over under one hundred five and a half receiving yards for that prop? You know, it's just um, it's one. One of those things, man, where it's like with Cooper Cup, it, it can happen. You can get see, you can see sixty yards on one drive, right? That's like it's really tough to bet against the guy. It's also he's had like he had that one playoff game where like they really held him in check, and he wasn't able to get much done. But and but it's like most games, it's it's just you know he's gonna get volume share, and you might see two or three catches in a row of like you know fifteen yards, and if you take the fucking under on that, you're gonna be shitting your pants the entire game. You're not gonna be able to enjoy the Super Bowl. If you're, I, you're going yeah, to be, be watching the game and every fucking time that Matthew Stafford drops back in your hand, a little shit yeah. in your pants. Yeah. Because, because the ball's on its way to Cooper Cup. So I think if I, if I were taking that receiving yards, like we talked about, just don't take the under. If you're going to bet on something, like find something that you would, would want to take the over on and then just take the over. But with Cooper Cup receiving yards, he like he's just gonna go over 105 and a half. Like he's just going to. Like I, I, there's just no way. It's not like after the season too, dude. It, there's no way. I agree. There's just no way. Like I don't know how else to say it. Like every game, he's not one of those guys where you can just like double team him and then take him out of the game. Like you don't double team Cooper Cup because he lines up out wide. He lines up in the slot. He's always in motion. But. What I will say, Jared, is 105 and a half is a high number. So if you're going to take one Cooper Cup receptions or receiving yards prop, I would take his receptions over. If you're debating, but like, 
you're going to take Cooper Cup receptions over or receiving yards over because he's his receptions is listed at seven and a half. Like he's going to have twelve catches, like easily twelve catches. Yeah, he's 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 the safety valve and like the main guy. So it's like you know some quarterbacks they have a they have a safety valve and it's like not the main guy. Exactly. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like they dump it out. You dump it off to this guy over here because your your big threats not open down the field. Cooper Cup is the safety valve and the main guy. Correct. So he's going to get fucking fat the entire game. And if you don't and love the, the receiving if, yards, like you don't think he, 105 and a half, like that's a lot for sure. That's that's probably maybe like one of the highest, I don't know, that I've seen in a Super Bowl. What's it at right now? How many catches? Receptions seven over under seven and a half. Think about seven and a half catches. Those don't have to be deep balls or a bunch of yards. You know, like when you see, if you take his over 105 and a half receiving yards and he catches that little flat pass for on third and two for a first down, you're like, oh, fuck, like that's only three yards. But if your receptions, like that's a whole ass catch, you know, and he only needs seven more of those to, to you know, get a go over. So I think the receptions over is, is easy. I also here's, don't, I, here's, Jamar Chase. Here's something kind of interesting though. Go ahead. Here's something kind of interesting. Just touching on that same point. Looking at his regular season stats right now. And over 105 and a half happened 12 times. Yep. And ov- over seven and a half only ha- only happened eight times in the regular season. Wait, say it again. So, he actually, so, so, so to hit that mark of over seven and a half, so where he had eight catches or more, he only did that eight. He did that eight of the games this season. Okay. Which is kind of weird to think, right? Because, like, obviously he had a freak season. But the yardage-wise he hit that the over of that yardage of 105 12 times hmm interesting so that's that's, that's something to take into account because that's a, that's another that's four more games on top that were and like like these games right here like where he went for what's also kind of interesting is like some of these ones and actually i don't think there's one game he went over he went over in receptions he went over that mark in receptions and would have went under in yards. We had nine catches, 96 yards. And then he had another one way back at the beginning of the year where he would have went under in receptions and over yards. Yeah. So kind of, kind of, this is an interesting thought. I mean, I like, I like the yards because I think the yards is like, it's like sexier, you know, you're yeah. like, you catch a big pass and it could, it could happen on two catches, you know? Yeah. So, but, and then I start looking at way. these other ones too, like moving on to, to other receivers, like star players, right? Jamar Chase. Over under for receptions is five and a half. And again, you're like five and a half. Like what Odell Beckham's is at five and a half and he's a number two receiver. Like how, how would Jamar Chase's be set at five and a half? Looking at his games this year, he went over five and a half, one, two, three, four, five times in the regular season. He went over five and a half, five times in the regular season in the playoffs. He did it in the first round and he did it against Kansas city. But the rest of the games, he went under. He had five or fewer. It's like, what what the hell is that? You know what I mean? Like, it's just so weird. It's such a weird number, but it's like, I mean, seems about right. You know what I mean? And then again, going but... Back to your, going back to your point, though, like, if you really want to enjoy a prop bet, you fucking bet the over. 100%. So, like, 100%. if you don't think he's going to get that, then just fade that bet. Because otherwise, you're going to be, like I said, you're going to be shitting your pants all game. Yep. When he catches three balls in a row on one drive, you're going to be having a bad time. 100%. Because you're just going to be rooting, rooting against football to happen. Correct. So, yeah. That's my take. Yeah, Jamar Chase receiving yards is at 79.5. To be honest with you, Jared, that's one where it's like that might be pretty high. 
Like, that's kind of a high number. 79.5. Like, he could bust off one play. I'm not telling people to take the under because we don't do that on the show. But, um, you know, just keep your eye on that. Um, another oh, one. 70.5? 79.5 receiving yards for Jamar Chase. Yeah, it looks like. Did you look at how many games he did that in this year? 79 and Two, a half. Three, four, five, six games this year. Six out of and then 17 the games. Two out of the three in the playoffs, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and <clears throat> it kind of looked like at the end of the year, like he kind of had a really quiet middle of the year, which is kind of crazy how he had such a great season. The middle of the year, he had like a. <laughs> like, a stretch of one, two, three, four, five games where he didn't go above yeah. 52 yards. Yep. And five games in a row. And then at the end of the year, he had that, when he had, right after he had that freak outing, right? Where he went for 12 and, or 11 and 266. Yep. That, that felt like that was like cemented his, like, like Joe Burrow grew so much trust with him. That's yep. why he did so well in the playoffs. Yep. But just yeah. Just thought. Yeah, and then the next one, the next prop we have here listed, um, which I just, I mean, it's just going to happen. And it's Matthew Stafford to throw an intercept, to throw, I guess it's to throw an interception or it's essentially over, under one half an interception, 0.5 interceptions. The over half interception, so to throw one, is listed at minus 150. That's not a great payout, but it's still like the likelihood of him throwing a pick is very high. He's he's, he's going to make he's going to force one stupid throw. 100%. 100%. He has to. I don't I don't know. I mean, I feel like taking both QBs to throw a pick is like a a real especially like I love Burrow to death, but like I mean, he's going to be pressured out of the ass and the DBs are insane uh for the Rams, so I could very easily see both of those guys throwing a pick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and, and like the tipped balls too. What's up? What's up? No, I'm trying to. I'm trying to get my camera to focus here. It's. It's not. Uh, there Uh-oh. it is. A little crispy. There thought you, you go. Like, <laughs> you're telling me to raising stop my, raising my like, hand I, with a question. Yeah, I like I will, I'll come through this camera right now. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> um, no. And like the tip balls at the line of scrimmage, right? Like that shit. One hundred percent. It picks like. A lot, I feel like a lot of times people forget about picks because, like, that type of pick because it's not the quarterback taking a shot down the field at a receiver, so it's not, it doesn't really necessarily feel like it's on them as right, much. Right. Right. That ball just gets tipped up in the air. But shit, the Bengals had a lineman have a pick last week. Yeah, they did. And you know, you know, Burrow's going to be, like you said, Burrow's going to be under distress the whole game. So yep. it's like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if both of them threw a pick either. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and I bet you, I bet you, if you were to add those two into the same game parlay of some sort too, like it would juice those odds up. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, like that's a one that like you would like back end bet day of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Start picking all the props that you liked again, and then just add those two in and put five bucks on it for like a you know thousand dollar payout or some shit. Yeah. Well, and, so. and it, the only thing that would suck about taking those is, in all honesty, I guess it depends on like who you're rooting for, but. Like, I don't really want to see interceptions. Like, I don't, like, I would like to just see a bunch of points. Like, not that I don't want, like, I would like to see the Bengals win. I think most people are, that aren't Rams fans are, like, rooting for the Bengals, you know, as sort of the underdog team. So you would maybe take Stafford to throw a pick. And it's so, it's hard because to take a bird to throw a pick, it's, like, almost rooting against him. But it's just, like, seems likely. So, I mean, 
it's up to you guys to take that pick. Uh, the next one in the middle of this list that we have here, just like, I mean, just like the lock of the Millennium. Like, I don't know what else to say, but like, my that's my that's my favorite prop bet. This Joe, one is my favorite prop bet. Joe Burrow, over or under eleven and a half rushing yards. Rushing yards, like he's gonna get sacked a few times. And that doesn't doesn't, ca doesn't count doesn't, doesn't count, count you. because he's not rushing the football. But when he breaks out of those sacks, I mean, he had what thirty something last week or whatever. Like, I mean, it's just gonna go over. Like, it literally may go over in the first drive. I mean, seriously, it's it's one, it's one scramble. It's one scramble the entire game. And if the game kind of goes how we a lot of people are anticipating it going, uh, no one thinks it's gonna be a fucking Bengals go go up right away. It, look, it looks like they're obviously the underdogs again, so they're going to be fighting back. They'll be throwing the football the entire game, probably. And he's going to scramble. You know? Yeah. He's going to have to scramble for that fucking three three yards here, two yards there. You're halfway there. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And that one that one where he has to step up in the pocket because they fucking the Von Miller is coming around the edge, and Aaron Donald just gets chipped just he, enough for, for yes, to escape. Steps up in out. the pocket. Yep goes and does an ugly slide nine yards down the field you know yeah. like you're you're there yeah so and know, that's, a, that's I, I another fun one to root for it's a fun one to root for because you're like yeah. like he breaks out of a sack and you're like yeah go 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 and then like like we said very easily first or second possession they have he just goes over and you're like fuck there it is you know like that's yeah. one where i don't definitely don't want to include it in a parlay though i want to like i'd put a decent you know straight bet on it and just take over burrow because i don't want God forbid he doesn't somehow get it and have that be like part of a parlay that's like you know what I mean? Like there's no alternate line on Joe Burrow rushing yards either. Like you there probably is though, on like DraftKings. Maybe on DraftKings if I bet you I bet you on DraftKings if you were to make a same game parlay right now and like for the Super Bowl. Most of their stuff has alts, but maybe not actually. I'll I'll look while we're on here, but I think you might be able to get Joey B at like eight and like, a half. <laughs> four and a half. Four and a half, yeah. Dude, they they give you crazy alts on DraftKings, but that's just because they screw you on odds so bad. Yep. That's why they don't mind. Yeah. Um. So that one's a good but pick. That's a good pick. It's a lock. It's not a good pick. It's a fucking lock. It's a mortal lock. <laughs> it's, it's a mortal October. lock. It it's uh it's one of the a bagel and some fucking locks. Yeah, and that one of those locks that's was Joe Burrow over eleven and a half rushing yards. Um. The next one I would take. The next two, I guess you could sort of put these together in the same category of tight ends so the word is that tyler higby is not going to play or he's leaning towards not playing even if he does play he's got this like mcl thing like even if he suits up or whatever i feel like he i mean he's going to have like one catch maybe or like one dumb little thing again if he plays but the other tight ends the other guys that the rams have uh Who's the one guy that caught the first touchdown against the? Uh, um... Oh yeah, I know you're the guy that. They... Yeah, he had the first touchdown um, for them against Tampa Bay. Kendall Blanton, that's his name. Kendall Blanton, I don't really see him listed much, but they—I mean—he will absolutely be listed by game time for sure, um, as far as receptions and receiving yards. Whatever Kendall Blanton has, I mean, of course, if it comes out and it's like Kendall Blanton fucking 70 receiving yards, like don't take the over on that. But 
I would take over on receptions because Stafford likes throwing to his tight ends. He loves Higby. And if Higby's not playing, he's going to throw to the other tight ends. So if he if Higby's not in there, Higby's receptions, let's say Higby's receptions, if he was fully healthy, would be, you know, four and a half or three and a half. Uh, Kendall Bland's is going to be like a, a reception or two less just because he's not at the same level maybe as Higby. So if it comes out at two and a half or three and a half, like I'm taking over that for sure, for sure, because he's going to get targeted a shit ton. Um, on the flip side, CJ Uzama also dealing with an injury, also hurt, but apparently at the Bengals uh, like pep rally thing they had last night or like a couple nights ago, <laughs> he's got this knee thing. And apparently he was like he came out and like there's op there's like really heavy optimism from um the Bengals head coach that he's gonna be able to play. He's been quoted saying he's, he's he not said, yeah, he said he's gonna Yeah, play. he said he's like, I'm not gonna miss the biggest game of my life, this and that. Okay, we get it. But he's just not gonna be the healthy CJ Uzama red zone target short yardage guy. He's just not gonna be the same. Maybe he is, but depending on again what the numbers come out because we don't have them off the top if it comes out and his receptions are at five and a half or his receiving yards are at 55 or whatever like take the under on those because he's just not going to be quite the same uh as he is when he's healthy they don't have him him on DraftKings right now i think they don't have him because it's not like 100 percent for sure but i guess at that I mentioned that little pep rally they had or whatever. He like came out and all the fans were there and he like ripped his knee brace that he was wearing. He like ripped it off and like spiked it in the trash can and like to pump up the crowd or whatever. It's like, it's like, okay, so obviously he's fired up and ready to play, but like he's going to need that knee brace. So get it out of the trash. Like, dude, you're going to have to wear that during the fucking game. Um, so yeah. You know, you know, another one that I actually like too. now that we're on like the kind of like little obscure props. Let's start like that obscure. But I actually really like Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon over receiving yards. His receiving yards at twenty five and a half. I think it's like, yeah, because I feel like check just a lot of dump offs, like checkdowns. You you get like the little screen passes to him, and he always got to do is bust one of those, you know, or like yeah, like those little dump offs. How about the uh, throwing the ball the whole game? Because like, I don't think I don't I don't like his rushing. Well, how rushing, about his, he's not going to get the rushing yards. How about his counter, or I guess his 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 partner in crime, whatever you want to call him over eight and a half receiving yards for Samaji P Ryan. Like, come on over eight and a half guy busted a 34 yarder last week. Like again, same type of thing. One play, one screen pass, one check down. I think they threw him two screen passes. Like dude, give him a nine yard, 10 yard bus on a screen pass. That's it. It hits. You know what I mean? So a lot of these props look pretty good. I think OBJ receiving yards, keep an eye on that. It's at 63 and a half. I, I'd probably take the over, uh, T Higgins over five and a half catches probably would take that over. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of props. There's a lot, a lot of props. Um, 13, 14, 15 times Tyler Boyd this season has hit his receptions. Exactly. Exactly. Over, oh, oh, three or over three or more on Tyler Boyd. You're saying yeah, yeah, Tyler Boyd's listed at three and a half for the Bengals, three and a half receptions. So you, can get, you can get him at three, uh, three, on DraftKings, if, if you were to parlay them. Yep. Yep. Guy almost had a thousand yard season. He had 67 catches for 820. But yeah, you can get him at, you can get him at, at three. And he only literally, there's one, two, three, four, four games that he didn't do that this year. Mm-hmm. 
he had one and, and he never he never took a zero so he had a catch in every single game so that means he, like which is encouraging yeah like he had a couple a couple games they just a couple games were just bullshit like he had two catches 13 yards one catch for 11 yards but everything else is pretty consistent and I, I know he had like a couple early ones last week and if they're keying the thing is is like obviously the defensive game plan is going to have to be surrounded on covering Jamar Chase. Exactly. And, uh, and, and T. T Higgins. Higgins. And yep. if, if Uzama plays, he's their number three. So, like, Boyd is going to get some of those little check down routes, too, like safety valve routes, because, you know, nobody else is open. Or Jamar is getting double, double covered. It's like find the open guy, right? And Joe's yep. good at doing that. So, I, I like Boyd at three catches. One one thing to keep an eye on in this game, and this is like for sure gonna happen, for sure, I can basically guarantee it, uh, is like we know that the Rams want to put Jalen Ramsey on the best receiver for the Bengals, and if you line up Jamar Chase out wide, they'll put Jalen Ramsey on Jamar Chase. They're just gonna do it. If they don't put Jamar, Ch- uh. If they don't put Jalen Ramsey on Jamar Chase, then Jamar Chase will be double teamed by two other guys. But what I think is definitely going to happen, and they they mentioned this on a couple different outlets, and I read a couple articles. Jalen Ramsey does does not cover guys that are lined up in the slot. He just doesn't do it because he's a he's a deep threat uh, corner. He's really good to the boundary. So I would not be shocked if Jamar Chase lines up outside wide less than five times this entire game they'll put him in the slot just so that you know if they go four wide or five wide okay yeah he's double teamed but one of those double teamers is going to be a fucking linebacker who's just not going to be able to hang with jamar chase they're not going to have to put ramsey on him i bet jamar chase is in the slot for a ton of this game a ton of this game that doesn't mean he's going to be less effective he's just they don't want jalen ramsey on him because jalen ramsey's just such a good covering corner so I think J- uh, Jamar Chase is going to be in the slot for a ton of this game. That's my one of my main predictions of this game is that Jamar Chase, it, they're just going to try to avoid Jalen Ramsey on Jamar as much as they can. And they should because Jamar's a freak. And if, so, and if they don't, then, then T. Higgins is a very, very capable receiver. And he's exactly. In too, so. Exactly. Um, on the topic, Jared, of impact players, we wanted to touch on who we felt and this doesn't have to necessarily be like one specific player it can be a a unit it can be uh, a couple guys combined to do one job or it can just be one player but we wanted to list off our top five non-star player or non uh premier position players that will make the biggest impact or have the potential to make the biggest impact on the game top five players for me i'll go first and jared you can tell me if you disagree or agree with with some of these i think the number one focal point of success and this also ties into what we'll get into later about how each team will win the game whoever is at right tackle for the cincinnati Bengals is going to be as important if not the most important player on offense when it comes down at least to crunch time and especially when they want to get those receivers the ball on longer developing routes because you can talk about the like inside guys on the offensive line stopping Aaron Donald but 
you know, in all reality, they're going to have five down linemen and four guys blocking. So you'll probably end up double teaming Aaron Donald. But Von Miller is a hard guy to double because he lines out lines up outside of usually the, the tackles and comes off the edge. So whoever the right tackle is for the Cincinnati Bengals is probably the number one impact player for me because of the responsibility that he's going to have in this game to determine the success. And it's not like, oh, if he doesn't do his job, okay, well, Burrow gets sacked. It's not like he's just, oh, it's a sack. And maybe Burrow scrambles out of it. We know what Von Miller can do, especially in the Super Bowl. And he's such a smart guy that if he gets around the right tackle and hits Joe Burrow, he's not going to be going for just the big hit sack. The ball will come out. He will find a way to get the ball out. And that is like game changing. If they go first play shotgun pass and Von Miller gets around the edge and rips it out like he did to Cam Newton, that's like a touchdown. I mean, literally like that changes the game. So I think right tackle is going to be super, super, super important for this game. I think number two impact player is, I guess you could say a premier position, but like really not on a ton of people's radar when it comes to like, oh, this guy's going to change the game. But, dude, Cam Akers could win this game for the L.A. Rams. Like, he could literally – it could come down to the fourth quarter where the Rams need to get a first down to end the game and run the ball three times. If Cam Akers – I don't know. His rushing yards is set at um, – It's like 50 or something like that. His rushing yards – Cam Akers' rushing yards is at 64 and a half. If he goes over that, the Rams win the game. More so than anything, just because it's going to be keeping the Bengals' offense in check. I mean, excuse me, the Bengals' defense in check. It's going to be keeping the Bengals' defense true and honest because they have to honor the run. And if Cam Akers is breaking up big plays, breaking tackles, you could say Akers and Sony Michelle, to be honest, but the running backs for the Rams could decide the outcome of this game, in my opinion. Yeah, you know who I like in this game? That's kind of like... Uh... I mean, I guess you could lump them together, but Awuze, the corner, yeah, for the Bengals, he's, a, he's he went to is a former CU buff. He's he's really good. Like he's a really good corner. He was with the Cowboys, and then he signed a good contract uh, with Cincy. It was like a twenty million dollar contract. And I know that he was lined up on Tyreek quite a bit mm-hmm. last week, and it did a damn good job. And like he's just kind of like one of those guys that like flies under the radar. You right. know, doesn't get any like real coverage, and like you only know like from Colorado. I feel like we know his name because he went. He was a buff, and he got yeah. drafted in the second round or third round or whatever. And then he went to the Cowboys, signs a twenty million, twenty-one million dollar contract. You know, obviously seven million dollars a year. It's a pretty significant chunk of money for a corner. It I is. think if if he's able to stifle Cooper Cup at all or whoever that he's lined up on, and the, like. After last week, I guess I guess I kind of want to just go ahead and say the Bengals secondary all in general because well, they did that, a pretty damn good job considering they're going against that Chiefs team yep. with just absolutely torched the the Buffalo Bills the week before. Like, think about the fact that you know everyone wants to shit on Eli Apple all the time, but Eli Apple had one of the biggest plays in the damn game. Yep, he knocked Tyreek on his on his ass on like you know the two yard line, and like that guy's got nothing but hell his entire career so far you know pro football focus loves to shit on him yep you know he didn't have a good time in new york 
but that guy fucking single-handedly, like not single-handedly, but like if you really think about it, had probably the play of the game, other than maybe like the the pressure um, up the middle that that almost got Mahomes to fumble at the end of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like like that that secondary they picked up. Like think about it. Like they picked off uh, Mahomes in overtime. They had that big tackle uh, yeah. on the two yard line right before half. Those are fucking game changing plays. Like you want to talk about a unit. Yeah, that can that can impact the game. That's not that's outside of wide receivers and and star running backs and quarterbacks. Like yep. that could definitely be it. Yeah, that's that was gonna be my next guy is Eli Apple um, because it's obvious to be like, like you said, oh he fucking sucks. Like he hasn't had a good career, but if he's able to do what he did against Kansas City and have in that drive like a a blown coverage holding penalty, and then come back from that have the mental wherewithal to stop Tyree Kill, slam him down like that. If Eli Apple commits less than two pass interference slash holding calls, they should have a good day. They should have a really good day. I don't know if they're going to be trying to play a lot of zone. It's hard to cover those guys man-to-man, right? It's hard to be man-to-man with Cooper Cup and OBJ. But Eli Apple, again, could also decide this game. Because if he's just getting burned, like just burned by OBJ or on the other side, by, I don't think they'll put him on Cooper Cup. But if they put him on one of those two guys and he's just getting torched, it's going to be a, literally a fucking free-for-all 50-point performance for the Rams. So if Eli Apple steps up, I think that's going to be huge. And the yeah. last two guys for me that's like obvious but also not obvious – is number one obviously evan mcpherson because he is just money money mcpherson and hasn't missed and you know there's that prop that we talked about about a field goal kicker missing a kick and we talked about matt gay will probably be the guy but like if mcpherson comes out and like misses the first field goal attempt like the Bengals get the ball they go down the field get into field goal range 44 yarder and he misses it like that sucks like that's that's an empty drive i'm not saying he's going to he's been good so far but i also mentioned like he's due to miss kicks if he shows up and misses that first one it could be a fucking downward spiral for this rookie kicker in the biggest game of his life where he turns into fucking uh how what's his name uh cody parkey yeah cody parkey or uh or uh what was the uh the packers kicker the, the the uh the older guy uh for the packers this year who like He's there. Mason Crosby. Mason Crosby, like, has been money. Has been money his whole career. And then he had, like, two or three games this season where he misses one, and it's just, like, miss the 40-yarder. Okay, now it's a 35-yarder. Fucking pushes it the other way. Misses it again. Misses an extra point. And then you're like, dude. And it's just a spiral. Because it's mental for kickers. Yeah, it's it's like it's like when you fucking step up to a par three and it's got the pond in between it, you and the pond. Yeah, and you're like, don't hit it in the pond. 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 Fucking chunk city flies into the water rest the round doesn't matter where you are you're hitting the ball into the water yeah not only do you hit that one off the box in the water but then there's the drop zone in front of the water and you chunk that one into the water again and you're like i and you fucking you just want to leave and everyone's <laughs> yeah. laughing because because apparently everyone else that you're playing with is just fucking tiger Woods. yeah yeah but in this case for Evan mcpherson they are i mean dude like the margin for error my, my more my point is the margin for error for the Bengals is just so small that they just can't afford to miss kicks. And that's why, honestly, they were they were able to stay in the game against Kansas City. Is they like drove down the field and they were it was like twenty one to ten or whatever. Um 
and they get down like sort of in field goal range, but it's like a 52 yarder for McPherson and he lines up and just buries it. It's like, there's just like no doubt. But if he comes up in that exact same situation against the Rams and just shanks it or fucking gets it blocked or whatever, like that's a dagger, man. That's a huge momentum swing. And then the last guy uh, that I would say may decide this game. Kevin Huber. He's the punter for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, if, he, if he's just hitting bombs, is that what you're saying? Kevin Huber has the potential to probably not win the game. But if the Bengals get the ball in the opening possession and they go three and out and he has to punt from his own 15 yard line and he hits it like we've seen before. And we talked about these fucking <laughs> referees spotting the bullshit out of bounds kicks. If he just snaps one off the right side of his foot and it's a 31 yard punt like that sucks. But if he gets up and drills a ball and it goes lands on the 20 yard line bounces down inside the five like that's again a momentum shift and i feel like this entire game is going to be a momentum shift especially it's hard to build momentum in a super bowl because of the corporate atmosphere that they're dealing with if they can pin the rams deep it's going to be such a big morale boost for them so i think the punter for the Bengals is going to be so key so key in this game you can say the same about the rams punter but it's like the Bengals punter, you just, you just assume the Bengals are going to be playing from behind or playing as an, they are an underdog. So if you can have guys on special teams step up, kickers and punters, you're going to be you do, you're going to be in really good shape, really really good shape. Yeah, and you just know, not, and just not give give them easy short fields. Exactly, whole exactly. You miss field yeah, goals, no, I, I, you're going to give them short agree. fields. You give you have bad punts, you're going to give them short fields. So if they can minimize those mistakes and then not you know not uh who'd you say who'd you say it was though well i thought the guy that i saw was i think, I think when you said hubert i think uh, you're kevin, talking about kevin huber is it huber yeah because uh, that's weird because they have a like a sam hubbard which is like a edge rusher guy too kevin huber is the punter for the Bengals. he had 66 punts this year 46.4 yards per punt which is at, per average which is pretty fucking good um, yeah, that that so they have Sam Hubbard too. So I, I thought I heard I remember that you saying the last name. No, yeah, like, Kevin Kevin Huber. I hardly ever know the punter. I mean, and he's just a Cincinnati guy through and through. He went to the University of Cincinnati. He's got 13 years of NFL experience. He's 36 years old. Like, dude, if he if he's getting into balls, man, who knows? Who knows what the fuck is gonna happen? But that's a that's a good tie-in to our next topics, Jared. Of how each team is going to win the game. And we'll start with the Rams. Because they're the obvious favorite. They are favored by now listed at four and a half. Uh, which is a pretty substantial margin. I mean, it's gone up from... I don't know what it like opened at. I thought some places it opened at like two and a half. It's gone up to four and a half. So the Rams are the favorites. What do the Rams need to do in this game to ensure that they come home with the Lombardi Trophy? The Rams have to play the game that you expect them to play. You know what I mean? You, ex you expect that defense to be able to rush the shit out of Joe Burrow, where 
I know we've seen him take nine sacks in the game. I think this is the best pass rush that he's dealt with. Um, so you have Von Miller and Aaron Donald primarily uh, that you you really got to be worried about. Then you have a, a good secondary, obviously. So if they come out and they just play the game that like that basically the books expect them to have, which is pressure Joe Burrow, tight coverage, make what maybe one one or two really big defensive plays, you know, get a short field you know, on an interception or a sack fumble or whatever it is like that's, and then just go out. And obviously you think, I think they're going to succeed. They're going to succeed on offense. The the Rams are, I mean, you have, uh, we like we were just talking about, like you have OBJ, Cooper cup, you got to deal with. Right. Um, and then obviously like, we don't know if they're going to have Higby, but just, I think Matthew Stafford with this team, just Matthew Stafford in general is just such a good quarterback. Like, that like like OBJ disappeared for a couple of years, obviously with a guy like Baker Mayfield, and then he, now he's just kind of flown back onto the scene. And it's just like Matthew Stafford is that good. Um, granted, like I said, we we do think he's gonna throw a pick because he's gonna force the ball down the field. But I I think that if this offense comes out and they just take advantage of of that secondary that we said is it's so critical to uh, for them to have a good game. And like you got two really good receivers out there, and yeah, you know, like Van Jefferson's not like a bad third option. Um, if Tyler Higby somehow plays, like it's gonna be a tough day on the Bengals defense. Um, and then turn around, and it's like obviously, like we we know that the Bengals have that like an amazing offense, but it's just like I just don't, I don't know how long you can get away with Joe Burrow being just miraculous, you know. Like every game so far, like the Chiefs look like they're gonna fucking beat them by sixty. Like you said, you know they yeah. come back magical. They somehow pull out a win against Tennessee, um, with fuck while well, Joe Burrow got sacked nine times. You know it's like can you, like basically the way I'm looking at it is like can Joe Burrow like just fight against all odds once again and like right so so far with everything that he's done. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be surprising, right? Yeah. So that's kinda of, that's kinda of, kind of where I'm at. Like Rams just have to play that textbook game that we think that that team is capable of playing, and that's how they win the game. Because the, obviously they're probably overall a more talented team. Yep. Yeah, I agree and with you. I would say if the Rams if the Rams own, maybe not necessarily dominate, but if they own time of possession in this game, they will win comfortably comfortably and that plays into what we mentioned i mentioned about the running backs if they can run the ball and run out the clock and third and three they don't have to rely on the pass they can run the ball in third or second and short and they can keep the ball and get first downs i think it's like obvious it's an obvious statement to make but like if they win the first down battle first down meaning they get the most first downs and they win time of possession they hold on to the ball longer and I don't mean longer by like three or four minutes, you know, because a lot of times the games, games like this are close. And a lot of times teams don't have to win time of possession to actually win the game because of quick scores or whatever the case is. But if they win time of possession by, you know, 10 minutes or 12 minutes, they're definitely going to win. They're definitely, definitely going to win. Yeah, and I, mean, I think the, that would... I would suffocate the uh, ability for Joe Burrow to pull off some magic. Exactly. Know? And it's just, uh, again, yeah, it's like he goes down the field, the Rams get the ball first, let's say, and they go fucking run play, run play, pass for first down, pass on first down again, 
pass, you know, and like they're not getting like 40 yard chunks, 30 yard chunks. Like, if they can keep Burrow off the field and the magic that we mentioned, it's just going to be, it's going to be killer and it's going to make the Bengals defense just be so gassed. That's why the Bengals defense was able to keep up the high level of play they had in the second half against Kansas city, because Kansas city was going three and out three and out three and out or one first down and then three and out Bengals defense was staying fresh and it's worst case scenario for the Bengals. If they go start on defense, the Rams get the ball and do a fucking 12 play drive for a touchdown. Then the Bengals get the ball back and punt. It's, it's going to be 14 to nothing because the defense is just going to be gassed. So, you know, you could say that about the Rams, and it's a good transition to to the Bengals and how the Bengals will win this game. Because it's obviously pretty much the opposite in that if the Bengals' defense can get off the field, and I don't think the Bengals need to win time of possession, but they have to keep it close. They have to be able to have equal opportunity on offense because it, the bottom line is if these teams come out with the exact same amount of time of possession and the exact same fir first downs and everything else, the Rams will win the game because they're just more talented. They have better weapons. They're going to be executing more. But if yeah, just Burrow, all over the field, you know, like, exactly. it's like obviously like if, you, if you're talking about like wide receiver corps, like, you know what I mean? Like they're pretty, they're pretty even, you know what I mean? Like they're not like super even. But, like, obviously, Cooper Cup had such a freak season, it's hard to even, like, well, try to lump Jamar Chase in, like, with Cooper Cup, you know? Mm -hmm. But Cooper Cup's, uh, or Jamar Chase is a really explosive guy, too. He's not he's not quite as dominant as yeah. Cooper Cup was this season. But, like, you could make the case that, um, that T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, C.J. Uzama is almost, like, a better like a better overall package than Cooper Cup, OBJ, and uh, Tyler Higby, in my mind, because it's like obvious, like, and that's tough. It's tough anyway you, you twist that because it's like you got to give o, like OBJ the respect that like he deserves from what he's done in his career. Yeah. But it's like I have such recency bias where it's like you've ju he's just started coming back on the scene, you know, just like, you know, being the OBJ that we expected him to be before he went to the Browns. You know, you you know, like, cause it's kind of, it was kind of like the same the same type of feel. Like Jamar Chase is kind of feels like what OBJ felt like when he was a rookie. Obviously, OBJ had much better seasons earlier in his career. So like him throwing up a couple good games in a row, like it's not enough recency bias for me to be like OBJ's back. Right. Yeah. So, but like in the in the, I'd say like I, I might take Jamar Chase and T Higgins over OBJ and Cooper Cup, and that's that's a fucking bold statement to say because it's like. Obviously, Cooper Cup just had that one of the best receiving right. uh, seasons ever, and OBJ has kind of like the name and obviously the ability, but it's like the recency bias of who's who's performed. Yeah, looking at this list here, this is a 2021 NFL season on third down conversion percentage. Mm -hmm. The Chiefs were number one in the NFL, which is in general, if you can convert on third down, like you're just gonna be fucking really good. The Rams were fifth in the NFL, 44.9, basically 45% on third down. And the, the Bengals were 12th in the NFL at 41%. And that's not a huge margin of difference, the you know, 4 to 5% difference. 
4%, whatever it is. But the Bengals are going to have a ton of third downs in this game. A ton of third downs. And that's where we mentioned that Burrow is going to scramble, hopefully, right, and hit our over on the 11.5 rushing yards. But third down conversions for the Bengals is going to be crucial. And if they can be above 50, 55% on third down conversions or better, I mean, ideally, right, for them, they're 65, 70%, then they'll win the game. They will win the game if they can continue the drives on third down because that obviously, again, plays into the time of possession stuff. So for the Bengals, I think they need to have two or more plays of 45 yards in length. If they have two or more plays chunked like that throughout the game, that will obviously either set them up for a scoring possession or be the result of a scoring a play two or more plays of 45 yards or longer because then that'll also prove that they can they can handle the Rams defense on the flip side they can't give up more than three 25 or 30 yard plays to the Rams because if, if those are 25 or 30 yard plays you know it's OBJ or Cooper Cup and so if the Bengals can just they can honestly they can give up 100 something yards to Cooper Cup they can give up 100 something yards to OBJ and give up 25, 30, even 35 points to an extent, that's a lot of points to give up as long as they, when they get the ball, they make the most of their possessions, they convert on third down, and they also are managing to hold the ball for a decent amount of time. Because I don't think last week they dominated in time possession. I'd have to, I'm actually curious to see. Um, this is the team stats for last week's game, or, well, two weeks ago. Um, time of possession, the Bengals outpossessed Kansas City by six minutes. They outpossessed Kansas City. If they outpossess the Rams by six minutes, they win the game. Like 100%, they will win the game. And yeah, they, that defense, the defensive coordinator needs a, a pat on the ass after, you know, after that first half going the way it did, coming back out and ha having Patrick Mahomes go for 60 yards. Yeah, and if you look at if you look at Kansas City receiving, if this is exactly how it goes for Kansas City, the receivers for Kansas City, as it does for the Rams, and what I mean by that is Travis Kelsey last week or two weeks ago, Kelsey had 10 catches for 95 yards. Tyreek Hill had seven for 78. Hardman had three for 52. If you have if you swap all those names out and you do Cooper Cup, 10 catches for 95, and OBJ, seven for 78, and Van Jefferson, three for 52. Like, that's a great job. I mean, that's honestly a great job by the Bengals' defense because you're not letting those guys blow the top off of the defense and just collecting yards and yards after contact. And that the Bengals also, and that's the thing with, with Cooper Cup, man, he not only led the league in, in obviously basically every receiving category, but if the Bengals can just, like, gang tackle these guys and get them down, like – managed to be close enough to Cooper Cup to get him down after he, like close to when after he catches the ball they will have a lot of success but Cooper Cup led the league in every receiving category including yards after the catch because he catches these short to medium routes and turns a 4 yard passing distance reception catches it 4 yards past the line of scrimmage and cuts inside for 15 or 20 extra yards it's like you can't you cannot let that happen so if they can just keep those guys 
not they don't have to keep Cooper Cup to 40 yards receiving. It's just like not going to happen. But if you can minimize damage, right? I mean, it's like when you're a pitcher and you go out and you you walk the first two batters of the inning with three, four, five coming up and one run ends up scoring. Well, you're pissed because you're like, I gave up the one run and I walked the two first guys of the inning and that's bullshit. No, it doesn't matter. You get to the situation you have and you minimize the damage and they're not going to be able to just shut these guys to zero. So just keep them, keep the lid on is what I'm trying to say. Keep your team offensively in the game because as we know, Burrow could get the ball back and go boom, boom, boom down the field, pull some miracle bullshit out of his ass and keep them right in this game. So keeping a lid on those guys is important. And I think if they can uh, just stay competitive and keep the time possession competitive, they will be right in this game, right in this game. And it, I don't know what Jared, what is like a margin that you would say, like at halftime, the Bengals are losing. Like, what would be the margin where you're still like the Bengals are going to are, are well within this game? Because last week it was 21 to three. I think it was 21 to 10 or was it 21 to three? I think it was 21 to 10. Yeah, they scored. Yeah, they kicked a field goal and they scored a touchdown. It was twenty one to ten, and then they got the and then twenty one to ten. Twenty one to ten at half. Yep, you're right. Chiefs got Chiefs got the ball back. Went down and didn't score, and they stopped him like right away. And the Bengals went down and scored, and then it was like, oh, they're in this game. So, what's the margin at half? If you're the Bengals, where you go in the locker room and you're like, we can still win this game. Is it is it twenty one to ten? Like it doesn't have to be a score yeah, specifically, but like saying, what's the point like margin? 10, ten po- I just think ten points is like ten points is comfortable because then it's not comfortable, but it's like it's not uncomfortable because like anything above ten, the other team makes one one play and you're really fucked. You're like just fighting the clock. If like yeah, if if you're down by fourteen or thirteen even, you know, and and they can turn it into a three possession game. On like by going by going down and scoring a touchdown, you know, it's like that three three possessions is so much to fight because you so have no much. room for error for the other uh, the other team. So like if much the other to team fight. doesn't scores at all, it's like you're you're just playing catch up. So like, ten points is definitely doable, and I would, I I don't like two touchdowns. I like I like ten points straight up. I agree with that. That like if they're if they're down by ten, they're still they're still in it. See, but I down think, by fucking fourteen. I don't I don't think so. I think ten points is a good margin. The only thing is, I think it depends on the score because if it's thirteen to three, and the Bengals have three points in the first half, I'm a little bit worried. A little bit worried because it's hard to be like, well, now in the second half we're gonna put up twenty one. Like no way, you just put up three. But twenty one to ten, you know, that's a good margin. I think if it's twenty four to fourteen, that's a good margin. Um, obviously anything less than that is, is great, but I think the Bengals have to have a minimum, a minimum of 10 to 13 points in the first half, depending on what the Rams, I mean, the Rams have 40 points at halftime, the game's over anyways, but they have to have 10 to 13 points to ensure that they just aren't going to come out in the second half and just get their fucking doors blown off. So I think the Bengals, man, it's obviously a lot of optimism within everybody. And I think now it's. People have really stopped doubting their capabilities because they they can handle it. I mean, but looking at again, looking at the game last week, the Chiefs had more first downs, 21, 24 t- first downs versus the Bengals, 21. They had more yards, 375 to 359, but the Bengals won the time of possession. And that might have won in that game. And I don't know if the time of possession, you know, was added on with that that overtime stuff where they, you know, the Mahomes threw a pick and then they ran the ball and you know, five minute drive extra, but 
it's like, dude, if you if you win that time of possession, you're gonna win the game. So it's really exciting. It's fun stuff. I mean, it's just gonna be really interesting to see to see how it unfolds. But uh, man, we're hoping for a good game. That's all that really matters. Or just we're hoping for a good or close game. Twenty one to ten and a half would be awesome, to be honest with you. I mean it'd be awesome. It'd just be like it's the same shit for the Bengals, man. I'd be like, this is exactly where we were last week, you know? Like, and the Chiefs offensively you know, are better. They're straight up. They're no one better. wants to see a blowout. Hundred percent. No one wants to see any type of blowout, and which I don't think we have. Like these, like the Bengals have that resilience to them. Like you said, there's no quit I, number. I, I don't. I, I don't see the Bengals blowing the Rams out. Like, nope. So just nope. The team's too good. Yep. Um, but like the Bengals have resilience. I don't think we're gonna see a blowout. I think it's gonna be a good Super Bowl and. We need it because we haven't actually. I mean, when was the last really good Super Bowl? I think that that Forty Niners Chiefs game was pretty good. Yeah, it was good, but it was also was, like Mahomes didn't play. Good. Last year was great. a shit show. Yeah, last year was kind of sh- was pretty shitty. Um, the year before that was was dog water. That was the fucking Rams thirteen to three game. Patriots Rams. Yeah, I think the last like fun shootout game I think was the uh, Eagles and Patriots because I think. F- yeah, that was a good I one. Think, I think Tom Brady literally threw for 500 yards, and they lost the game. I think Foles threw for, like, 450 and, like, four touchdowns. Yeah, like, that's, like, like that's, that gets the people out of their seats. That's you know so what I mean? fun. That's, that's, yeah. that's what the boys want to see. With a, with a fourth and goal, a double reverse pass to Nick Foles in the end zone. Like, that's fucking awesome. You know? Like, that is yeah. so much fun. Like, you like it's got, like, like almost, like, college vibes to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was like crazy, a, wild shit. Like no, a big 12, no defense. Yeah, big 12 no matchup. anyway. Yeah, Oklahoma and except Texas. For like, except for like a pick and like a big sack, but right. like other than that, just yardage in between. Yeah. So yeah, that's we, we're gonna see a good one. I mean, not like the NBA. You know, last night out there. You know, last night what happened? Fucking, there was a huge NBA slate that last night, and like they were just all blowouts. Dude, m- the average margin of victory was twenty-one points in a ten-game slate. Yep. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, like. It's not even fun to watch. It's not fun to watch. No, it's not. The NBA is fucking garbage can sometimes. It is. It is garbage can. And what else is garbage can, Jared, is our last topic of discussion, generally speaking. Baseball is garbage can right now. And we love baseball. I love the sport. Uh, I love watching the Padres, my favorite team. But right now, holy shit, could they be, we've mentioned it uh, at least a thousand times. And like you said, Jared, I this is not a podcast where we have a tendency to exaggerate, but I have said on this podcast 274 times that Major League Baseball is fumbling the bag so hard. No, they, so hard. So hard. Apparently, Rob Manfred is scheduled to make an appearance tomorrow and, and do a, a press conference. Who the fuck knows what he's going to say? Um, they talked about the owners apparently the owners as a whole had some sort of meeting down in somewhere in florida or arizona or something these last two days i don't know what the fuck that means i I guess the players association had a meeting last night and like it went well like they all were on the same page but like i heard a great uh take or or just like opinion on this from the john boy guys jake on the john boy podcast and he's like yeah you know the owners are meeting uh monday tuesday to to get on the same page about this whole thing like are they meeting like are they it's not that they're not all in the same spot but jake said that they're just gonna be golfing right like they're just gonna be playing golf and hitting the casino 
and going out like they don't the owners just don't give a fuck like they just don't care they just it doesn't matter to them they're so fucking stingy and misleading and such garbage cans and rob manford is just a spokesperson for the garbage and so he's going to come out tomorrow probably going to say unfortunately we have to delay spring training because of the lack of cooperation from the players and just like piss them off more and say some bullshit that's just so not true it's really disappointing but there's still a lot of sort of action going on um there's rumors supposedly that like the cubs once this thing gets settled are trying to go after anthony rizzo and sign him back that would be cool there's rumors that carlos correa and the yankees would like to work out a deal that would be cool there's rumors that freddie freeman would sign somewhere besides atlanta not gonna happen in my opinion he's going to the, the braves will give him the key to the fucking stadium before they let him go somewhere else and that's all fun stuff to talk about and and like speculate on but it's not for sure because we don't know when the fuck we're gonna play what we do know is that one of those star players that's been in the spotlight but also out of it because he's put himself in this situation is trevor bauer he was officially uh, i guess you know exempt from all the charges that were put on him um from these sexual assault allegations the county of pasadena decided they weren't going to prosecute on any charges or press any charges so he's basically a free man for the most part which is you know in a general sense it's good to see uh the legal system going to work all facts coming out blah 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 whatever you want to say right they're doing their job i guess it took a long time bauer had to be silent about it for a while you know for obvious reasons but this was officially settled and trevor bauer took it upon himself to release a full eight minute monologue statement about this entire situation talking about how he's been you know innocent this whole time and it's been a horribly frustrating four months for him and you know i can understand it man because it is hard if you feel like you're really an innocent guy in this situation but he spent a lot of the time talking about the specifics of these allegations and i honestly don't even want like it's not that we're some sort of p you know a g-rated podcast we obviously cuss all the time but the stuff that he was going into detail about about the things he didn't do that were he was accused of and the, the words he was using and the descriptive language he was choosing to have like we have a, you know a very small audience for the most part and if we have kids listening we want to respect that there's not like these kids don't hear cuss words and and you know fuck and and all these casual slang that's thrown into conversation but the words he was saying in my opinion was like such a mistake like it was such a mistake for him to come out and it be was, like i've never done x y and z too much. and it's like it's so obvious to anybody that knows him that he has such a loyal following and that following is consists of so many little kids and and children that are fans of the game and fans of like what he brings to baseball and i'm not criticizing that because i think he brings a lot of good stuff to baseball but this statement he came out with if you haven't gotten a chance it's on his youtube channel and he titled it like the truth or something like that all he has to do in my opinion if i'm his pr representative or i'm his agent and i and he's like i need to come out with this statement i because he's obviously he the whole point of the video is he wanted to really emphasize the fact 
that he's innocent and he didn't do these things and the girl who who accused him of these things is so wrong and made up all these things about him and that all of that is probably sounds like it's for the most part true and that's not that's not the part we're disputing but he still has to come out and whether he wants to or not he still has to issue some sort of an apology and it's not an apology for the things he was accused of and and he claims he didn't do it's for the fact that he's chosen this sort of general lifestyle that he that he has it's not again you could do whatever you want hang out with whatever you want but the bottom line is he put himself in a situation where he was in relations with a girl who ended up causing him and his franchise and the league a shitload of negative pr and so he has to come out and he can say all these things about how he's innocent and how he feels like you know he wasn't treated fairly and he can criticize whoever he wants but the explicit language in my opinion is a horrible look and he still has to come out with a little bit of humility and be like you know what i'm the one who chose to hang out with this girl I invited her over. We did the things that we did. She accused me of some things that were not true, and I didn't do those things. And I wanted to make sure everybody knows that. But I also want to apologize for putting the Dodgers in this situation, for putting my family in this situation, for putting the league in this situation, having to spend millions of dollars on, on legal fees. And all this was avoidable if I would just chosen better with the people I choose to hang out with. And he says it in the in the thing, you know, he's like, I've had to do some reevaluation about who I'd spend choose to spend time with and hang out with. But that was a very minor part of the of the yeah. the entire video. And it was really just kind of I left that video was, walking away and you could sorry, Jared, I'll let you go on it. But I just no, I, I walked away from it thinking like, man, he could have done a lot better and set himself up for a much more uh a much more like respectable career because if i'm a gm and i saw that video i don't want anything to do with that guy and have him anywhere near my team and i don't know how you have him go back to the dodgers when he was getting charged with all this stuff at the beginning and granted you know to his point a lot of people were just assuming guilt before having all the information and that's on the media members that were doing that but when he you know, articles come out about him from Ken Rosenthal and these other guys talking about how he was like an outcast in the Dodgers clubhouse. Nobody hung out with him. He was not a good, you know, presence, not in a necessarily a bad way, just like he was an outcast. He was kind of a weirdo. Those things are fine if you, that's how you are. But how is he going to go back to the Dodgers after that? Because he still, I think, has a contract with them, like a player option, or he could pick it up and then be a part of the Dodgers next year. But it's like, do they want him back? Do they buy his contract out? I don't have the answer, but all I know is he definitely fumbled it with this uh, statement that he gave. And go ahead, Jared. You know, like, kind of in playing devil's advocate to you, like, I... I kind of give, I kind of like, it's, it's a really tough spot to be in, right? Like 100%. for me, because it's like, obviously, obviously like this girl accused him of some shit, you know, like whether or not that was true. Apparently he was acquitted after they did like a deep investigation, you know? So you, with the knowledge that I have, maybe some of it was bullshit or fabricated. Maybe some of it was real. The whole situation sounds like he got himself into a hairy situation, but he is a like a very high profile athlete, right? So it's Correct. like, you do see, you have seen shit like this happen in the past with high profile athletes and I'm not necessarily taking his side, you know, not because I, because I would hate to take 
you know, I, I would hate for this girl. Like, I don't know all the facts that they that they know, yep. like in court, obviously. So it's like I would hate to like take his side and be like, well, listen, like he didn't do shit, and she kind of fucked up his career, and then turn around and like this girl actually just like wasn't given like the right, you know, judgment. You know? So that's that's really that's t- that's tough just altogether to like even unpackage, right? Yeah. But I I kind of. I kind of commend like commended for like having some balls and like coming out and like I guarantee that video wasn't easy to make like and I get like yeah he probably used some descriptive language in that video and like it was it was kind of cringy to watch I watched it and I was like Jesus man he's going all in on, in on all the details but I guarantee that motherfucker didn't feel good like talking about it you know for sure like that's, that's a very like cringy way like thing that he had to like take on to his own personal image and that's a that's like a that's not something that you or I would ever know what that's like. He got it sure. nationwide blasted everywhere. ESPN had articles about it without him being able to say a peep about it. And then at the end of the day, when they do a deep investigation of it, they come, it comes out that it's bullshit, which like I said, that's, that's tough to call it bullshit. Cause I obviously I've known nothing about this girl. I, know, I don't know who she is. I just know what she said, but they did, they did their investigation. And according to it all, it's, it's bullshit, right? Like, I don't know if she was trying to get money or well, I don't know what the fucking deal was, but like for him to have to come out and like try to cover his ass and like for the first time that he gets to speak, I mean, fucking hey, man, I would have to like, he could have had a, uh, an agent or a PR person come out and, and, and say it in a very um, kind of like monotone, like public professional way. But he came out all by himself and like said some cringy, embarrassing shit. And to try to like clear his name, and in my mind, I'm like, you got to give him a fucking a little bit of respect for that. I mean, granted, like, yeah, he it is a little bit of a black eye. It's a huge black eye in his career. Like, people will always remember him for that, not the fact that he won like a Cy Young. Right. You know, that'll always, you know. But like, um, I don't know, man. It's just like there's a lot of athletes that would have dodged that. Yep. And I know it. it I, I know it was cringy, and maybe it wasn't the perfect way to go about it, but. At the same time, like if he's trying to clear his name and like, I don't know, like it, as long as the investigation all went through and there wasn't like you know fucking money behind the scenes or some bullshit like that, I'd give him a little tip of the cap of having like the courage to get out there and, and do that and not make somebody else do it and talk about it a little bit because he did, he got his name dragged through the mud ever since it's happened and that's the first time that he's got to say anything. So I, I don't know, man. Uh, it's tough. Like like you said, like don't. Don't put yourself in that situation, but then again, it's you're hanging out with a, a girl and you're worth fucking hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't know what's gonna happen. Like you don't know what's gonna happen. You For don't sure. know what if there's a hidden agenda behind them hanging out with you. You know what I mean? So I don't know. That's that's where I stand with it. Where as long as the investigation holds true, then you know I think he has the right to take that take the platform and and try to clear sure. his name and tell his side of things. So absolutely. I mean, I I agree with what a lot a lot of what you said. Right. It takes a lot of balls to go out there and say that. It's very frustrating situation to sit back and have to listen to everybody slander you for the longest time. And if these allegations aren't true, which apparently the investigation came to that conclusion, then they're not true. And that's fine. Nobody's saying he's guilty now, even though he's been proven innocent. My biggest problem is, like you said, there, you know, he could have had a PR person or he could have had a you know prepared statement or something. But that's not the type of guy he is that's going to come out and read off of a piece of paper. And I actually respect that. I think that's important that he comes out and he doesn't read some bullshit PR thing. With that said, he still could have come out with a better tone 
a better voice inflection, uh, so many different things where he could have come out, like I said, and avoided all the neg the super graphic stuff, and he could have been like, listen, and he could have apologized. I still think he should have apologized in some aspect for putting a lot of these people in this bad situation because it puts the Dodgers in a terrible spot. And at the end of the day, he could go to the Dodgers and say, I'm completely innocent of all this stuff. And it'll say that in whenever this investigation is over, but they have to release him. And it's just negative PR going towards the Dodgers, no matter what. He has to yeah. he has to come out and say something along the lines of, I was accused of a number of different extremely graphic charges, and none of those things happened. She was lying. She was fabricating these charges. I'm completely innocent. And... It's extremely disappointing and disheartening to see many, many people immediately assume guilt and take her side without having all the information. That's that's among the lines of what he has to say. But instead, he got way more into detail, and he was pretty emotional, right? And he also mentioned, you know, these are very serious allegations, but— he has to, in my opinion, just come out a little bit more maturely and a little bit more professionally because, like you said, he's a high-profile athlete. And my question is, there was rumors about this girl. This I, I still don't really know her identity or anything, but there was rumors that this exact same exact girl had had uh, interactions similar to with not well. Not, she didn't allege this against other guys. She had similar encounters with them when it comes to romantic engagement and with guys like Fernando Tatis Jr., with a number of other prof professional athletes. My question is, why didn't she go off, go after Tatis? Why didn't she go after the other guys that she had hooked up with in the major leagues? I'm not saying he's guilty. My point is he's always finding himself in these shitty situations. He's also the same guy who early in his career when he was on the Indians got a ton of heat and i don't know if that was a it was like a um a restraining order or something that was filed against him by a teenage girl on twitter because bauer she was coming at him in his comments just saying like he needs to focus on pitching or something like that and he like replied to her went after her super hard all his super diehard followers attacked her found her fucking address found her personal information were threatening her and like that's not necessarily his fault because those are his followers doing that, but he instigated those problems. And my point is, he's just been the center point of a lot of these issues. A lot of like, and I don't, I don't think he should hold back on speaking out against the commissioner or these other things because everybody does that. But you don't see like maybe even using a married guy is a bad example, but I'd say guys like Trout or Harper or. Fernando Tatis or these other guys like let's say I don't even know I don't know this to be true or not but like let's say Jacob deGrom is a is a single guy right I think he is maybe he's got a wife or a girlfriend I don't know but let's say for argument's sake he's a single guy right now why is Jacob deGrom not getting in trouble like this why is yeah, why is it just seems like they just have like they're they're a lot better at keeping their mouths shut and keeping like their business on the field and their private lives quiet to the rest of the world you know what i mean like you see them on the field and like they obviously get fire in the field and they're competitive but 
there's not like a whole lot of bullshit coming out like they're not tweeting a lot you know about that's and that's like, my when they, thing when man tweet something, it's like they're at, at like a fucking charity event you know exactly and they don't they, dude there's a ton of guys dude like stroman great example great comparison super vocal super competitive super uh you know uh animated when he plays right really you know strikes a guy out struts his shit off the mound off the field he's on twitter all the time shooting off tweets positive negative right people slander him write an article about how uh cubs fans don't want him to come to chicago because he's a bad teammate and he'll respond back to the article and be like this is garbage like you guys are just making shit up and that's fucking do it like do it do that all day i don't care if you do shit like that but stroman's not getting into trouble i think he's a single guy too why is Marcus Stroman not running into these issues off the field? My point is Bauer's the type of guy who's extremely uh, conflict-oriented. He's confrontational, and his his lack of even the smallest amount of remorse that he should have had in this video about the choices he decides to make, I don't care how you choose to live your life. But if you choose to live your life in one fashion and it ends up leading to problems, it's on you. It's not and and again, if like if it was such a crazy thing where some like literally random girl that he had never met before came out and charged him with these things, he could easily come out and be like, I don't even know who this person is. Like you're making this shit up. This is fabricated. And then the investigation would have never gone on. But the point is, he did have these relations with this lady. And it was enough to warrant uh, MLB putting on putting him in administrative leave. And now, like I said, and this is maybe a question for our listeners and for you, Jared. Do we think he pitches again in the major leagues? Do we think Bauer pitches? Here's two questions. Do we think he pitches again in 2022 to start? Or even further down the road, does he pitch ever again in the major leagues? Oh, man. Well, I, here's the thing, man. I've seen, I feel like I've seen shit happen, you know. I've seen worse shit happen, you know, like yeah. in my mind where guys ended up playing again. So yeah, I mean he's a talented guy. It's just kind of one of those kind of one of those things. It's like there's gotta be a team that's willing to take a chance, you know? And I yeah. fuck for all for all we know, it will be the Dodgers. And they're gonna say, you know what, he got cleared and the facts came out. And they have their PR guy come out and say, Hey, listen, the facts the facts are the that you know, he was wrongly like accused and you know, the after investigation he's good to go and we're going to treat it as such. And then he pitches in the major leagues because they know he's, he could be an impact player. I mean, the guys want to saw young before, like he's obviously a super talented pitcher. And I think there's, a, there's going to be a team out there that gives him a chance, but I don't know if it's going to be the Dodgers or not, but like, there's definitely going to be a team out there. That's, that's willing to say, Hey, like we like, you know, you've messed up, you know, we're going to give you some sort of, you know three strike policy or whatever it is you know or yeah, two yeah. strike policy or one strike policy i don't know but like someone's gonna give him a chance because he's as talented as he is for sure um, because it, it's it's different if he comes out and he's like or if the news came out and he had to go to jail for a year and he came out yeah. then we're talking yeah. about okay someone might not fucking sign him or whatever because obviously it's a huge black guy but like i mean fucking hey dude josh hamilton was doing meth out of a fucking trailer after he got drafted and the guy ended up winning an mvp still in the league right. so it's like you know, and I'm sure there's get plenty it. of dumb shit that he did. So, like, I I would assume that Trevor Bauer will get a chance in the major league, in the major leagues again, with it whether whether it's with the Dodgers or like this year. I'm not sure, but I, I mean, 
he got acquitted of all charges right. and there's no restraining order or anything against him. I would assume that like, I wouldn't be surprised to see him pitching if the, if the season happens. I agree. I think, I think it's more likely that he does pitch eventually at some point in the major leagues than never pitching again. I think that's a pretty bold statement to say, like you said, considering his talent level and how good of a pitcher he is. Nobody's doubting that he's a great pitcher. I think more so, and you know this, I mean, you and I both know this more than more than some people, that the clubhouse vibe and the team camaraderie and all those things that are off the field but affect how a team performs are almost as important as how good the team actually is. I mean, we saw it with the Padres, my Padres this season, where the talent was there, obviously. Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, fucking Blake Snell, you Darvish, you know, Joe Musgrove, like these guys just destroying. I mean, we trade for Adam Frazier and like Eric Hosmer, huge clubhouse guy. But then you you run into issues with the clubhouse, personalities clash, things happen, and the level of play on the field goes down. Does it impact a team when they sign Bauer? I just don't feel like if he goes somewhere, especially this season, if he goes back to the Dodgers, the general mood in the clubhouse is not going to be welcoming him back with open arms. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think it's going to be more of like a lot of hesitancy, a lot of him continuing to be an outcast and people not wanting to develop relationships with him because problems seem to just follow this guy around. And I think that's probably why a lot of guys didn't develop you know, serious personal relationships with him when he was on the Dodgers. So if, let's just say the Dodgers decline the option. He They mutually agree, right? And he becomes a free agent. The other part that plays into this, Jared, is knowing him and his personality and his ego. If he goes somewhere else, he's going to want 30 million bucks a year because he's a great pitcher. Is there going to be a team that's going to say, you know what? Not only is he worth the 30 million, but we're going to take a chance on this guy hoping that he's not going to be causing problems, not problems, but hoping that he's not going to be outcast in the clubhouse and doesn't run into another issue like this again. And we'll take the chance on him and give him 30 million bucks a year. Or does he come out and say, I'll take whatever, and you know, I'll take 10 million a year because he won't do that. So I think he needs to really, really tread carefully now because I mean, he's in a decent spot with the Dodgers. He can pick up his player option and get paid 40, 40 million bucks next year. Uh, and maybe he pitches for him. And at the end of the day, man, like, you know, if you're a good player, you're going to help the team at some, you know, in some capacity. But I think team camaraderie and team, team, you know, the clubhouse vibe and everything is really, really important. Uh, maybe not as much at the professional level, but I'm, I'm more than anything, I'm just curious to see how, how it unfolds for the rest of the season and his career, because he's a very talented pitcher. There's no doubt about that. And when he's at his peak, man, especially recently, he's probably a top 10, top eight, top five starting pitcher when he's at his very peak. 96 to 98 on this fucking fastball, nasty slurve, changeup, two seam, cutter. Like, he got, the guy fucking invents pitches. And nobody, by the way, including me, questions his work ethic and how much time and energy. But the comparison that I you know, hear from a lot of people and I hear this about the other guy comparing him to Bauer or Bauer comparing Bauer to the other guy is he's kind of like the Bryson DeChambeau of baseball where nobody questions his work ethic. Nobody questions the talent, but it's been documented time and time again that Bryson DeChambeau doesn't have a developed or personal relationship with anybody on the PGA tour. 
Like, there's nobody that would come to defend him in any circumstance because he's just he's kind of egotistical. He's narcissistic, uh, doesn't show a lot of remorse and, you know, flies on his own and just does what he wants on his own. And there's that works for some people. But at the end of the day, it's it's easier in golf. you know, they call but, that a fucking sociopath. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, but he's easy. It's easier in golf because it's a one man sport. But when you show up on a baseball field, man, I mean, you know it better than anybody. If you're playing on a team, let's just even take Bauer out of the circumstance. You're playing on a team. New guy comes in. You just won the World Series and he's really good. He's a D1. You know, he, he went somewhere else, had a great career, and then they cut him or they released him or whatever. And he comes in with his dick dragging around, doing his own throwing program, doing his own thing. And you're playing shortstop or you're playing center field and the ball gets absolutely fucking laced right at you. Are you going to put your fuck? Are you going to put your face in front of that ball for Trevor Bauer? If you're Justin Turner or you're Corey Seager or whatever. I mean, yeah, right. I mean, you're gonna because it's part of your job, but like you're more inclined to do it for Clayton Kershaw or Walker Bueller. Or those guys that haven't had any issues and are also invited, by the way, to the Dodgers team fantasy football league that they hold every single year. Bauer, not invited in that. There was a video from this last season where they were trying to decide who was going to get the first pick in the Dodgers fantasy football draft. And they were chipping golf balls at home plate at Dodger Stadium closest to the pin. It was like some target in the middle of center field. And Bellinger chips one up in the air it gets super close he ends up winning it and he throws his hands in the air and there's like 20 guys out there like all of them with street clothes you know sweats or whatever one of the guys out there was trey turner and like dude trey turner's been on the fucking team for like three weeks two weeks and he's already like meshing gelling with the guys invited to the fantasy football thing you know and it's like that's where i just don't feel like bauer would fit in very well with not only the dodgers but a lot of different teams man a lot of different teams and i don't know how he is as a, as a buddy or a friend he's, he's he's a high profile guy so like we get we see that but i'm sure there's fucking guys on every team that of course everybody for sure so it's like we just he's just in the he's just in the spotlight right now so it's like it's hard to yeah so it's like it's hard to we gotta we gotta think about that and obviously like this is a little bit different than just not getting along with people for sure like this is a fucking this is a black eye to sign him exactly everyone everyone in the clubhouse is fucking distraction for sure but like i think he's coming off of a Cy Young not too long ago what is it two years ago well, it was a Mickey it's Mouse Cy Young, but yeah. Yeah, Mickey, he won a Mickey Mouse Cy Young, but like, he's got to get a chance to play, and I'm sure they, they'll address it in the locker room at some He'll point. Play. He'll play. Around and, but I, I and question I, and his I'm, ability to come into the clubhouse, right? The Dodgers sign him. They go to spring training. They come in. They're like, Trevor, we want you to talk to the team. Just make a statement. If it's the Dodgers, right? He comes in. What, what, what does he say? He comes in. He's like, listen, I know. I mean, you know, I read the articles about how you guys thought I was an outcast. It's tough to hear. I hope I'm yeah. not anymore. Like, what does he say? But knowing him, he'll come he, in and be like, I'm here. I want to win. I want to do this the right way. I want everybody to have my back, like all this stuff. And and it's just, I just feel like guys are going to sit there and be like, okay, man, like whatever you say, you know, like we're going to go do our job. I'm Justin Turner. I'm going to go hang out with Bueller and Cody Bellinger and have dinner after the game. And you're probably not invited, <laughs> but like not going to say it to him. You know what I mean? It's just like, well, and it's then not gonna in, that, in that case, in that case, it's just one of those things where it, like it's got to be professional baseball. He's got to fucking get just show up. And I perform. get it. They're professionals. And, and, yeah, and, you're do, right. and, and do his job. And like, don't worry about the whole buddy buddy shit. Because I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure there's guys in every team that aren't friends with him. So of course, I mean, especially I mean, think about it. some some of these fuckers. Like some of the guys are like 
You know, you might have like a bullpen, a Dominican bullpen, bullpen guy that's like, you know, doesn't know anybody. Right. Like, you know, like I'm sure there's plenty that like, stays to himself. Yeah. Just, just basically is trying to, over here trying to make money and For take sure. you back. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, I'm sure on every team there's guys that aren't fucking but, perfectly matched like, and, he, and they don't talk to each other. I've heard, I heard things about, uh, I heard, um, Greg Maddox was a fucking weirdo. Yeah. I'm sure. Like, Dude, I knew Bar- from, I know Barry Bonds was a horrible teammate. I know Barry Bonds. I heard Barry Bonds, is, Barry Bonds is a fucking horrible teammate. I heard that directly, directly from somebody who played with him on a team. I heard. That's the same with Greg Maddox. Yeah, it was I, a guy that a guy that played with him told I, me that Greg yeah. Maddox was a fucking weirdo. I heard. Uh, oddly enough, I heard one of the guys that was a bad teammate, and I love him as a pitcher. I heard Jake Peavy was a horrible teammate. Like, if he wasn't pitching that day. He wasn't even at the ballpark. He's like, fuck this. I don't need to be here. And then he would show up on his day and he'd fucking shove. And it's like, that's, that's, you know, different. But is Jake Peavy getting trouble off the field? Is Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds had a huge spotlight, but it's like, that guy was so fucking good that it's like, this guy could walk in the clubhouse and individually flip off every single fucking guy in their locker. He could walk up to every guy and be like, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. And I'd, I would sit back and be like, you are so right, Barry. You are so much better than me and everybody else in here. I don't care if you are the biggest cocksucker on the planet. If you hit 70 home runs a year, you can do whatever the fuck you want. But I don't think Bauer has earned, obviously, that level of respect yet. But, you know, I mean, even like, I, I've you know I've heard Scherzer's a great teammate, but I'm saying like even the day Scherzer pitches, people are like, dude, don't you show up to the ballpark and it's Scherzer's day to pitch? Don't look at him, don't talk to him, don't smell the same air that he's smelling. Like get the fuck out of his way and let him do his thing. And I don't love that, right? Like as a teammate, I want to be able to talk to people, but it's like that's his thing. That's what he wants to do. But then he comes off afterwards, and he's a he's a nice guy. He's relatable. I'm not asking everybody to change their personality to conform to what would make them a good clubhouse guy. But it's like like a question a, a question that I think of. It's like, would you rather have Trevor Bauer on your team? I mean, that's probably a bad question because Eric Hosmer is a fucking garbage can player. But like, would you rather have Eric Hosmer or Trevor Bauer on your team? As a clubhouse, you take the off the field perform or the on the field performance, which is very important. <laughs> but you consider him as a clubhouse guy. Like all I've heard about him, Hosmer and the Padres, is that literally everybody, Dominican, American, fucking European guys come over, Japanese guys, and they love Eric Hosmer, love him, like fucking love the guy. And that's something that I respect out of, of a player. It's like, you know what, man? Even if you're not going to be playing well, everybody likes you. So they want to they want you to they want to see you do well. They're going to be rooting for you. And it's frustrating when Hosmer doesn't do well, right? Because you're like, man, I wish he was good because he's a great clubhouse guy. Or do you want to have a guy that will what will that will contribute on the field at a higher level than Hosmer, but then comes off the field and like no one even wants to talk to him afterwards? You know, it's it's a hard line to draw. I mean, a lot of guys, dude, end up sticking around in the big leagues for fucking years because of they're just clubhouse guys. I mean, like, because they just, like, work well with the team. You know, like Jeff Mathis, a fucking career 190 catcher in the big leagues, 190 hitter, but he's caught, like, a no-hitter. He's caught all these legendary pitchers, Zach Greinke, all these guys. Why? Because the pitchers are like, dude, he's so great to work with. He's a great clubhouse guy. Everybody loves having him around. It's like, that has value. And I think it takes yeah. Bauer's value down a lot when 
he is the opposite of those things. I don't think, again, I don't think he walks around like a, just an asshole all the time, but people are just like, I, I, you know, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to talk to him. You know what I mean? It's like, just not yeah. my guy. And he, I don't feel like he's more not people's guy than he is people's guy. If that makes sense. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No. no, I get it. That makes it that definitely makes sense. That's like, I, I totally get it from like a team aspect. Uh, I just, you gotta like, wonder, you know, what? when you're you're an when you're if you're an owner and you're trying to win baseball games, I agree. You say, I, I, no, dude, I get it. it. I get it. <laughs> but like, obviously, yeah, it's uh, it's he's he took a he took he took a black eye on his just his overall legacy, just right. in general. It's like yeah. you, you you can never escape it. Yeah, so, and that's I what mean, I'm saying. Like, he's as gonna, a PR he's move, pitch again. he's gonna pitch though. As a PR he's, move, man, it's no just doubt. like when you when you when you're a GM, whoever whatever team he ends up with, Dodgers or somebody else. The, the question that will inevitably be brought up with the owner and the GM when they decide to bring him in, the first one of the first questions is going to be, is it worth it? Is it worth it to have this guy on our team? And I don't think that's a very good question to be brought up about, about you know, even to be considering about somebody. It's just like shitty, like you said. So I don't know, man. We'll see. We'll see what the deal is with Bauer. Obviously, I had a lot to say about it, but um, I just don't, man. I just don't love guys causing issues off the field. I mean, not just him. I mean, it's anybody. Um, obviously he's innocent of the charges. So, you know, hopefully they can move on. Hey man, I hope for the best for everybody. Hopefully he comes in next year to the Dodgers. Well, not the Dodgers actually fuck the Dodgers, but somebody else he signs with the fucking blue Jays or some, you know, and they're like, dude, we love Bauer around here. He's been nothing but great. He's doing fucking charity work. He's throwing at a fucking two seven. Like this guy's a fucking the missing piece, you know, or something. And it's like, good for him. Good for him. But I just don't see see that happening, and I mean it's up to him to to make that difference, I guess. So, not on me. We can just sit around here and talk about it because we're not big leaguers that throw ninety six miles an hour with a fucking twenty two hundred RPMs. But whatever, you know, it is what it is. So, uh, yeah. So that'll do it for episode seven. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed. Went a little bit long there, but you know, we don't care. We don't care about the times. You know, we're just let it eat sometimes. We'll let it eat. Um, but, uh, yeah, this will be our last episode before the Super Bowl. So if you guys are hearing this before the Super Bowl, enjoy the game. We will certainly be enjoying the game. I'll be with Jared, uh, cooking up, uh, some takes for the, for the, the post Super Bowl episode, probably just bitching about Jared's 26 leg same game parlay that misses by, uh, no, one, no, it's going to fucking, it's going to hit, it's going to miss, gonna hit, it's going to miss by one receiving yard from Samaji P Ryan and we're gonna be no, fucking that's gonna pissed. be the fucking that's gonna be the straw that's gonna be the straw that breaks the camel's back samaji p ryan yeah yeah it's a samaji p ryan anytime touchdown score i thought it was gonna happen it had to happen and he does he gets the screen pass on the four yard line and then gets t- pushed out of the one yeah and you're gonna be like what the- that's he breaks that the plan it. but they have to review somehow they call it a they, touchdown they yeah game. touchdown on the field mm-hmm. and then they review it and they go no touchdown yeah so um yeah enjoy the super bowl Hopefully, the next time we talk to you guys, like we said, Manfred's got a statement tomorrow. Maybe he comes out with some fucking magic, pulls a fucking rabbit out of the hat, and they settle on something. The likelihood of that is incredibly small, so that sucks. But we love to talk baseball, and after the Super Bowl, that's probably going to be a main focal point. Hopefully, we start breaking down some teams and where we see them finishing and uh, go from there. But thank you guys for listening. Uh, Anybody who is listening, you are a phenomenal fan, as are we. We like to host anybody with their opinions, so feel free to tune in on Twitch uh, while we record. Drop comments on any social media uh, that you guys follow us on. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you guys on the next episode.